All right, thanks, Claude. I didn't think you were coming up for a second there, but uh, you got here, so I appreciate that. Um, oh, do we have a mic for you? It should be on, hopefully. Oh, hang on. Sorry. There we go. That should work. Hello. Um, thanks again so much for sharing um, in this service. Um, we shared just in the, in the service before, but uh, we kind of started with this before, but it's probably not a bad start. Do you want to just tell us briefly a little bit about family life um, and what you're currently doing now? That'd be great. Um, I have two really awesome boys that are 12 and 14, um, so they take a lot of my prayer time. Um, and I have, I'm married to a wonderful man called Michael, um, and I'm also the prayer pastor at River Life Baptist Church which is out gingerly way. Um, I also oversee, I keep hearing myself, <laughs> sorry. That's right. um, I also oversee prayer, um, no, I oversee prayer. I also, oh, sorry, that's really putting me off. Um, I also do um, prison ministry um, and go into detention centres and have a team of about 35 that go in there and see awesome stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I imagine if it was like, 15 years ago or whatever, you'd never in your wildest dreams would have thought, okay, I'd be working at a church and I'd be doing prison ministry stuff, which is pretty um, full on. Um, so it's been a journey really to getting to that point. And how, what, what was it like for you growing up? And, you know, was there faith involved or going to church or what did that look like? Where did you grow up and how did it all begin? I'm from South Australia. Um, so sometimes you'll hear me say dance and stobie pole and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I didn't have any faith in our family, except mum would say stuff like, um, if you do the wrong thing, God will punish you, stuff like that, you'll go to hell. Um, so I knew there was a God, but probably didn't think it was very nice. Um, and that was about it. But growing up, I just lived with mum and my two sisters. And um, mum got engaged about eight times um, to eight different men, not the same guy. Um, and in between, hello people over there, um, in between, um, she had all boyfriends in between that as well, which caused a lot of chaos, not just that um, the men that she was engaged to were really quite, um, you know, hard to deal with, so some alcoholics and drug addicts and car thieves, oh my gosh, if you want to hear some hilarious stories later, just come see me about those people, so funny. Um, yeah, but so life was pretty hard and chaotic um, and sometimes those guys were nice and sometimes they weren't. They were really awful. Um, so growing up was hard. Um, and then when I got to about, um, I'd say about 14, I recognised that life was hard um, and life was um, different from everyone else's, that everyone's mums didn't get engaged eight times and there weren't lots of wedding dresses around your house. <laughs> so... Um, but it wasn't funny like that. I make a joke of it now, but um, I started to just suppress anger and um, just suppress all those feelings because um, I was like my mum's favourite. And so she would say to me, I'm so glad I've got you. You're like the only, re the only happiness in my life. And, and so I really dealt with these um, really unhealthy relationships around me, but also held guilt because I really start was starting to resent my mum it's really starting to judge my mum and, um, and, you know, put her in this place of um, that she was a bad person, that she was selfish, that she was, um, didn't care about anybody but herself. And, and it just started to brood this anger in me. 
Um, and so then at about 14, I started drinking. Um, by 16, I was taking um, ecstasy and speed. And um, by about um, 20, I think, I was um, taking cocaine and partying on and drinking pretty heavily. Um, and I had a really great work ethic, so I could still had a job and um, kind of moved through life all right, but just had this, um, just this started to build this self-hatred towards myself and, um, and my mum, pretty much. Um, always protect my sisters, but, yeah, started to build that. And so at about 17, I started to build this um, depression in my life, so every six to eight weeks, I'd six or seven weeks, I'd, like, go to bed for a couple of days and start um, just feeling this heaviness come upon me that I couldn't fight off, couldn't, I just couldn't stop it. Didn't matter what I did, it, I knew it was coming and I knew it wasn't going to go away for a few days. And it just felt empty, just this emptiness. And it went on, um, went on for quite some time. Yeah. So you're dealing with that for quite a number of years, all the anger... The bitterness. Did you turn to drugs almost as a sense of like, okay, I've got to like escape this? Do you think that's what it was or was it more just yeah. getting in the wrong crowd? Or? I think uh, a bit of both. I got in the wrong crowd, but you get in the wrong crowd because you're unhappy, because the crowd you're around, are, they're not making you happy. Your family aren't giving what you need and they can't do it when they don't know Jesus. And so you just look for someone else. And so if you're already acting out, unfortunately, families move their their children away from you. I remember being in high school and being told that I was the rotten apple in the fruit basket and made everyone else rotten. And so, you know, people that have good lives tend to move away from people that don't instead of helping them. And so um, you just end up with what society sees as rotten apples all hanging out together, rotting. Um, And so that's kind of what was happening to me and just got in the wrong crowd and you end up moving out with the wrong crowd and just partying on. And um, as I got older, I stopped taking drugs because it was affecting my work life. And I just always knew that to escape the life that my sisters were in, I've got older sisters and their lives were just going hectic and I could see my life going that way. And I knew the only way out was was money, to get money and to have a job and get away from, from everybody. So I worked really hard but um, it ended up giving me shingles <laughs> and, um, and because of all the drugs and everything that I was taking and the alcohol that I was drinking, I stopped taking drugs, but still binge drink because, binge drink, because that's Australia's culture. We just accept it. We accept drinking as something that's part of who we are and it's not. It's an absolute lie from the devil that he has put a blanket of that over Australia. And we need to stop it. That's a whole other story. Um, but <laughs> Sounds yeah, like so, you're passionate about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, a bit passionate about that. <laughs> Binge drinking, don't do it. Um, yeah, so I still did that. So that is just just still kind of need, needed to do that. I didn't see that I could stop that really. Even yeah. though, like I'd go online and be like, am I an alcoholic? And I'd do those tests. I don't know if anyone's done the, done the test. Yes, you are. And they'd be like, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So this is going on in, uh, I suppose, your 20s. Um, was there ever, like, did you ever think about, I mean, you're working for a church now, so, so did you ever think about God and attending a church or anything like that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd go out clubbing and I'd, I'd, it'd be like, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning and I'd think, or 9 o'clock in the morning, I'd still be, you know, going along and I'd think, I'll go to church. 
And I'd turn up at church in like my big high heels and my short skirt and turn up and be like, hi everyone. Nobody would talk to me. I'd be like, why? Just because I stink of cigarettes and scotch, you know? But, um, and I'd just leave thinking, oh, I don't belong here. You know, no one, no one wants me here. And so I'd leave. But it would happen every couple of years. I'd just suddenly go, I should go to church. I don't know what, you know, I know now that it was Holy Spirit just saying, it's, it's time, it's time to, you know, come find me. And I'd try, but I just couldn't. I'd, I'd go there and I'd always feel like I was standing at a window and I couldn't find the door. Like I'd look in to everyone, like I, as if, I, if I'd come here, I'd look in and be like, why are all these people so happy? Why do all these people, like I just, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to get into whatever they're doing. And so it felt like I was standing at a window and couldn't find the door. And I was listening to Nick Riddell this morning, one of our pastors at River Life, and he said, Jesus is the door, and it clicked. And I was like, it's because no one ever showed me the door when I turned up. No one ever came and, I mean, you must have known I wasn't part of the community. And no one ever just said, hey, would you like to hear my story? Or would you like to have a cup of tea with me? And can I tell you who Jesus is? No one ever did that. And so I just couldn't find the door. For years. It's just, it's just fascinating though. So you go, you're, you're clubbing all night, you haven't slept, and then you just, the next morning you think, oh, I'm going to roll into church. I just think it's just fascinating. Um, so, so you, you know, you're uh, it's pretty wild living in this season of your life. Um, you go along and you just feel like there's just, it, it, was a, it was a sense of I just, I don't belong here, like, there's no way I fit. So, so how, how many times had you kind of gone, you know, done that? my gosh, I have some hilarious stories. I, try, I do all different churches as well, so I wouldn't go back to the same church. I once went to this church in Adelaide and they were like the ones that carry all the incense down the aisle, you know, I don't know who they were, maybe Greek Orthodox or something, and they carry the incense down, they wear those big robes, and I am allergic to incense, not allergic, but it makes me sneeze, so he's walking down and I see it and I'm like, oh no, I can't get out. And then you just hear me going, ah, choo, ah, choo. Like the whole, and I was just like, this, is, this church is not for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you knew then, yeah, that wasn't the one for you, yeah. Um, so so you had gone a few times, but then um, again, randomly, another morning, you decide you'll try another church. Just tell us about that. Yeah, yeah so by this stage, um, I've got my son, my first son, he's about six months old, I've got a shaved head, eyebrow ring. I always wore hippie skirts. I still wear them, actually, all these hippie skirts. And, um, and I remember going to this church, KBC, which is what I'm a part of now, which is now River Life. And um, I, I walked down, KBC has this massive driveway. I walked down this driveway carrying my baby. And um, I see um, this old dude standing at the door. And when I see him, his whole face just lights up. And, and I was just like, this guy's interesting. And he's like, hello, you must be new. Welcome, come in. And he was just, it was like, I don't know, I always describe it like this. This is what I think was going on in his head. Oh, you know, like <laughs> it's just like this moment for him. And, um, but, and I'm sure he's like, I know he's like it with everyone. But anyway, and so he takes me to this chair in the chapel, in the, or whatever it is, chapel. And we sit in the chairs and he talks to me the whole time, sits with me for worship. And then he goes, oh, excuse me for a minute. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he gets up and does the sermon. And it's Rick Benson, the, like, the lead pastor of our, that used to be the lead pastor of our church. And I was just like, 
oh no, oh no. <laughs> it's just, I, my heart was really happy that he had taken the time to talk to me, but my head was saying, this is not, this is not okay. And I was saying to the four o'clock group, it was like, it's like when you go to a dinner party and you talk for half an hour and then someone says they're a psychologist and you're like, oh my gosh, what have I said to that person? <laughs> so, and so and then he came and sat down with me after and just, you know, oh, he was just so kind, so loving. He just, it was like he just took that moment to just hold my heart and just talk to me. And oh, I just, I didn't give up then. I was just like, I belong here. This is where I belong and I, I feel welcome. And it was just yeah, so nice. Yeah, that's awesome. yeah. 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 I don't know, I actually um, rang Rick earlier in the week. I don't know if Rick's here at all. I just thought it'd be awesome for him to come out here. I don't think he's here. Put your hand up, Rick, if you're here. No. He's watching online. So good, Rick. That's amazing. <laughs> um, but it's so, it is so powerful. And, so, and then Rick introduced you to, to some other people. He introduced me um, to, I think, I don't know what they're called, the liaison, the, the person that greets you and makes sure you're welcome and everything, whatever they're called. Um, Welcomers, yeah. What is it? Oh, I don't know. Welcomers, don't know. we call welcome, them welcomers. Welcome team. It's, it's welcome team now, but I don't know what they will call them. Anyway, um, and she was like unrelenting. We are actually, like she's one of my best friends now, but she was unrelenting and she would, like during the, I had this thing where I could never say no to people, just had no boundaries. And so I just, she'd be like, well, Rick actually said, you're coming next week, aren't you? And I was like, yes, yes. And then she rings me during the week and she's like, you're coming, aren't you? Do you need a lift? Do you need anything? Do you need me? Do you need someone to get the baby? You know, she, they were just making sure I was there. And I was like, these kid people are crazy. But I love it. <laughs> it was really good. That's so I came the next week and, um, and Rick got up and did a sermon. And, you know, I'd had depression for so long, like I said. It was from 17 to 30 well, until this day that um, he, that I, I'd just been suffering so badly and it was actually impacting my marriage now and it was just so bad. Um, and it just made me live in this place of guilt all the time, guilty that Mick was having to suffer this thing that I couldn't get under control. This is your husband Yeah, sorry, well, Mick's yeah. my husband, yeah. Um, and he gets up and he does this sermon, which he says a lot better than I'm going to say, but he says there's people in this room that have depression and, um, and he's saying, I'm not telling you to take, stop taking your medication, but I am asking you to ask God if he's the one that's supposed to fill that gap in your heart, that thing that is missing, that thing that needs to be filled. It needs to be filled with God and I want you to, you know, ask him. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, is that me? So I went home and sat at the end of my bed, closed the door because my husband, you know, didn't... <laughs> wasn't into Jesus and closed the door and just said is that me God could you do that for me and it was that simple it was so simple and the next day I woke up and I just knew I just knew it was gone stopped taking medication even though you told me not to and just was like free of it I've never had depression again I've been through some really serious stuff serious stuff that you know should t send people over the brink and no no, never again. That moment, I was like, God is real and God loves me and he is more than anything I can imagine and I want to find out who that is. I want to find out what kind of thing in this world could actually take the time to look at me, to listen to me, 
and to take depression from my life, what else could he do? And so I I just haven't looked back from that moment to find out who he is. And I found out some stuff, which is awesome, but I know there's so much more. So good. Obviously, that was a huge change in your life. Was there other things that, what was some of the biggest things that took place as well? I mean, that's obviously really big, but were there other things that just dramatically changed in your life? Yeah, after that. Oh, yeah. It just started, the more I pressed into him, so I didn't really ever try and fix. I just knew straight away that I never had to look at that life again. As soon as I gave my life to, I went the next week and gave my life to Jesus. As soon as I gave my life to Jesus, I was like, I don't ever have to look at that life again. It's not that I'm like um, in denial. I literally do, I am, I, that does not belong to me. I've given it to him. Um, and so I <clears throat> never went into like a self-help kind of um, philosophy or faith. I, I went into, I'm just gonna go after him. And the more I pressed in to find who he was in like, I just started, I heard, you know, read through the Bible, we're meant to heal. So I just started praying for healing for people and people would get healed. And I was like, what is going on? I'd ring my mum and she would say to me, I'm, I'm really enjoying these stories, Claude, but um, I don't think you should tell anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, what? <laughs> you know, and I just all sorts of stuff started just um, praying all the time and just hearing words from him, hearing words for other people and, and yeah, it's just, it's just been this crazy, awesome life with him that I just love. Just being, um, of like, thinking of Claude before Jesus, I just can't imagine that she would ever think that, well, she's dead, but the one now, the new one. <laughs> like, going to Egypt and just seeing people, like, lungs being repaired as I pray for them. In my language, that person has no idea what I'm saying. We have an interpreter, but he was, I'm sorry, Makarios, but it was average, you know. And so, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was just amazing seeing legs that were broke, like, had been broken and healed really badly, just repair in front of my eyes. Going into juvie and seeing every week that on GV is like the youth detention center. So every week just seeing kids give their lives to Jesus and, and just really just cry and just repent. And like then talking to people, the, the youth workers in there and saying, that person's never shown remorse. You know, now they're repenting and, and claiming Jesus as their savior, amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I wanna to touch on that definitely. Um, you mentioned your mum also though, and I wonder, you know, what's the relationship like now? Because you kind of were, I suppose, plucked out of your family and became a Christian and that must have been pretty wild for them and for your mum and and your relationship there. Yeah, it's been, um, the first few years were really hard because I was following, uh, I'm following God, but then also having this hatred for her still and having this judgment, like, especially having my own kids just looking at my baby, looking at my, you know, toddler then and going just loving my child so much and thinking I would throw myself under a bus for my baby. Like I would, I used to pray, oh God, please don't let anything ever happen to Max. You know, don't let anything, I love him so much. And then I'd think, what was my mum thinking? Like she had three beautiful girls that she just let, she just let be annihilated by these 
men that she just kept bringing into her life by her poor, poor choices that was so selfish. And it was just like, I just have these moments of absolute rage, like where I'd just be like, I just, I can't forgive her. I can't forgive her and I actually judge her. I judge her so much. I'm gonna sit on this seat of judgment and I'm just gonna let my rage <laughs> like be there. And then, you know, hearing that I had to forgive her, like when I'd, Christians would be like, you have to forgive her. And I'd be like, are you kidding me? Do you know the trauma I've been through? Do you know what I've seen? Do you know what I saw when I was like six years old and seeing terrible things? And I was just like, I can't do that. I can't, I can't do it. And as I tried, I tried, forgive her. I'd say prayers of forgiveness that people would take me through. And the next day I'd be hanging the clothes out in the line, just going through conversations that I really wanted to have with her. <laughs> and I just couldn't do it. And I knew that I had to. I could feel, I could feel Holy Spirit really talking to me and saying, Claude, you gotta do this. It's making you sick. It's, you know, it's, it's just not, it's not okay. And it wasn't in a mean way. He, was, he just knew what I needed to do. And I said, I can't do it. I really can't do it. And I just felt led to um, write down, start journaling. And I just felt led to ask God how he sees my mum. And he showed me a picture of her in a field and she was about 12 or something like that. And, and she was wearing this beautiful white dress and she was just kind of in like sitting in her arms and her knees and she was just crying, crying, crying. And I could see she was so scared and so hurt and so afraid. And I looked at her and I thought, I can love that person. I can love that little girl that's feeling like we all felt. And... Um, it just changed how I saw her. And every time she'd come over, as soon as those feelings of anger and rage and, and you know, unforgiveness came, I'd just excuse myself and go to the bathroom and read that journal. And I'd be like, that's right, that's right. That's who she is. That's who she is, God. And, and I'd just be able to go back out and, and, have, and love her again because I just could love that person, could love that girl. And she is, she, she is like that. Like deep down when I, now that we're together, like mum's a Christian now. She saw my life totally change and was like, I want that. I don't know what's going on with you, but I want it. And she got baptised and gave her life to Jesus. And she's just awesome. Like she rings me now. She's a total end timer. Oh my gosh, it's hilarious. But, <laughs> but it's awesome having conversations with her. And yeah, we just talk about Jesus all the time now. It's just awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. It's incredible. Um, one of the things I really value is you just kind of, there's a rawness about your relationship, your own personal relationship with God. And I, I really feel like you kind of just go, all right, God, just, I'll just do whatever you want me to do. And I feel like you, you just live like that. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, going into the prison now um, and how that came about. Yeah. Um, I've got this great friend, Liza, and she was worshipping. And after worship, she came over to me and said, oh, I was worshipping and and Jesus, I feel like Jesus told me to take Alpha into the youth detention centre. I said, that sounds awesome. You should do that. And she's like, oh, no, I think you should do it. And I was saying to Twiggy, everybody says that to me. I don't know why. Everyone gets this great idea and they're like, you should do it. And I'm like, I only have enough time in the week. Like, you do it. You know, I can't do everything. <laughs> and it's really because, you know, I just, I just pray for them and give them courage to go do it. But anyway, this time... I said, she goes, you go and pray about it. And so I was like, okay, you go and pray about it. So 
That's kind of funny. Like, you do it, you do it. Anyway, um, and, and so we both went away and prayed. And when I came back, I said, I can do it, but I can only do it on a Monday and I can only do it in the morning. And because um, I was studying and working and had the kids and had a whole lot gone on. And she's like, okay. So she goes to the detention centre. You should see this girl. She's my height, skinny little thing with like straight blonde hair. She's so cute. And she walks into this detention centre and she's like, I want to do Alpha. <laughs> And the chaplain's like, we can't do that here. Like, the education system aren't going to let you do that. And she's like, oh, well, can't we just try? And she's like, oh, I'll just ask. Let's see. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to say no. So they come back and they're like, yep, you can do Alpha, but you can only do it on a Monday and you can only do it in the morning. <laughs> I was like, that'd be right. <laughs> so she comes back and she's like, yay, we can do it. And she's like, oh, but by the way, I can't, I can't come in with you because I'm pregnant. She's like, fully pregnant. I'm like, oh, Okay. So I'm like, okay, so I go and do Alpha for a couple of years and um, it was awesome. Like kids just, kids just, those kids just love people coming in and actually telling them who they are. Um, so it, it was just really, um, we never had any calls or anything. So um, like you have these calls when they do something wrong if they're like jumping on the roof or something. We never had any of them whenever we were in the detention centre, which is like, they just couldn't believe it. And I was talking to like the CEO there and I didn't know who he was. And he's like, how are you enjoying your time here? And I'm like, I love it. Those kids are just awesome. And, and I just said all this awesome stuff. And he said, I've never heard anyone describe these boys like that. <laughs> and I think they just were like, love these people. And so then they gave us an opportunity to start coming in um, as much as we want. And so now we have a team of 35 that go in on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. And on Thursdays, we do four church services. Um, so, and we are just seeing kids give their lives to Jesus. We are just, we're just seeing amazing things happen. It's just, we're seeing healing in there. Kids are getting healed. Staff members are getting healed. Um, yeah, it's just awesome. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, so amazing. I'm intrigued as well, because um, you kind of come to faith, and then, but your husband, like, he's like, no, no, no not into all of this. Um, what's he thinking when you first come to faith, and how's that, how's, that, how's that all going down, I suppose? Yeah, he really wasn't happy, because I stopped drinking, and so um, we did kind of have a party kind of lifestyle, so he kind of stopped drinking, and he was like, oh my gosh, you're so boring. Like... <laughs> And all I wanted to do was talk about Jesus. <laughs> so it was like, he'd be like, can you just like for a minute talk about something else? And I'd be like, but you know, the other day. <laughs> and so he was like, oh, it's killing me. And we did, so Mick didn't become a Christian until eight years after me because he's so stubborn. He's so stubborn. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so it was a lot of prayer and a lot of tears. And then one day I just said to God, I could feel us coming apart. Like I could feel us, I knew, I know that Mick and I will love each other forever. Like we just love each other. But I could feel that our lives were coming apart. And it scared me. It was the first time I'd ever felt that way. And I just said to God, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live seeing him move away from me. I need you to help me. And he said, I felt God say, well, what do you need? And I'm like, I really need him to come to church with me. I need him to come to church every day. I just, that's all I need, because I know if he comes, it'll change. And he was like, ask him. And I'm like, I can't ask him, I can't ask him, because he'd get really angry. Like I'd ask him and he'd be like, stop asking me. You can't ask me, you can't manipulate me. You know, he'd get really angry. 
And so, but Mick's angry as like <laughs> a grumbling person. <laughs> he doesn't really, he doesn't really get very angry. Um, and so anyway, um, so then I was like, had this prayer and then, uh, and then Mick rings me like about an hour later, Mick rings me and he goes, we have to have a, con- we have to have a talk, Claude. So he was feeling the same way. So we got baby scissors, went out for dinner and he was like, Claude, um, like I just don't, you know, we had a talk, talk about it and I said, um, I feel like you're going, you're falling into a hole and the, there's, you can't get out of it. Like I felt like, and, and he was like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of that hole. And I said, well, I do. And he's like, oh, I don't want want to talk about that, like that. And he goes, and then he just looks at me and he goes, well, what do you need? And that is what God, I said to God, I forgot to tell you this. I said to God, I need Mick to ask me what I need if I'm going to tell him what I need. So, and then he says to me, so what do you need? And I'm like, I need you to come to church every Sunday. He's like, no. And I'm like, well, that's what I need. You ask me what I need, that's what I need. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, fine. And so then a couple of weeks after that, he became a Christian. That's crazy. So good. There's a big story to that, but I won't say it. Yeah, he's, he's, serving, he's serving in the prison. Yeah, he comes you. into juvie. Everyone's like, it's so funny. He comes in and when I say, oh, this is my husband, literally the boys go, gosh, you're, like, you're pretty lucky, aren't you? <laughs> All right. Because they reckon that he's, is it called punching above your Weight, your bar, oh, yes, your level, yes, yes. yeah, whatever. Anyway, okay. I didn't want to ask, but I just, yeah. Um, um, there's one other story told. It's just crazy. Again, going back to just your heart to just go, okay, God, I'll just do whatever. And and the other thing is as well, I, I kind of get the impression that you know you've got such a mercy heart, and it's it's amazing, isn't it? Like how much God has changed your heart and and your life is just in, incredible. Um, oh, you should tell us actually about your sisters. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that too. That'd be awesome. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I've got the giggles. I don't know why. Um, I have two sisters, Marnie and Kirsty. They are just, we just had so much fun together because we all like rallied around together against mum. Mum knows that. I can say that out loud. So we did wild things like we'd put mice in her bed and, you know, do, do, like we were so naughty, but it really bonded us. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know we'd, we'd make her sandwiches and, oh, anyway, it was naughty stuff. I hope there's no kids in here. Um, anyway, and so, but Marnie, really awesome um, girl, sister, and um, yeah, so she, but you know, with all the stuff that happened in our lives, we kind of just lived, they both lived this chaotic lives. Like Marnie's got four kids to four different husbands and or partners and, you know, and, they, and um, you can see that she kind of started to live the same life as my mom. And, um, and then one day she just found Jesus. And uh, yeah, and it was just like changed, just, you know, changed. She's, uh, there's consequences, obviously, that she's to live through because of um, the choices that she's made, but she's, yeah, she's found him now and she's like living on strong, so that's awesome. Mm. And then there's Kirsty, who's my eldest sister, and I think she was a lot like, like a bit of a mum to me um, in, in, a, in a bit of a way when I was, when I was smaller. Um, and she rang me one day and, and she said, um, Claude, I just... My sister was an alcohol, uh, sorry, was a drug addict from 17. She started drugs at 17 and became a drug addict. And um, I just 
I never looked at her that way. And I think maybe when you say I see people in another way, I think my sister helped me be like that because, oh, she was just the most beautiful person. She's so kind and she just has this heart like, you know that, I think it's Cinder, who's the one that calls out and all the birds sit on her? That's how I see her. She's just beautiful. And um, yeah, and so I'd always see her like that, even when she was so strung out or so like off her face, so sad. She rang me one day and said, I just tried to kill myself and I don't think the next time I try, I'll be able to stop myself. Can I come live with you? And I was like, yes, but let me ask my husband first because I've had quite a few nieces and nephews that have lived with us and not asked. And so he's like, can you just ask me next time? So anyway, I hung up and he said, yes, of course he did. And then said yes. And so she came and lived with us. But I said to her, when you come... Um, I'm going to, like, my, my youngest son has half a heart, and so he's had a lot of heart surgery. So we were about to go um, into this massive surgery with him where he's had, like, 30% chance of dying. And so Mick and I decided to go on this cruise for 10 days just to, like, strengthen us so that whatever happens, we can come out the other side together, not apart, and have good communication, all that. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to go on this cruise. Um, so... Um, you're going to have to be in the house for 10 days by yourself. And like, she was like, yeah, 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 sure. So we go on this cruise. She gets there. We go on this cruise. And, and I find this chapel in the, on the cruise ship. And I'm like, I'm just going to pray every day for like at least two hours, pray and worship for my sister to be delivered from this drug addiction. So I go in there. I turn the like Yui boom on. I'm like worshiping and praying. And every day I'm just like going for it, praying for her and only her. And people started coming in and, and were like, oh, can you pray for me? <laughs> and I was, it was like I was like the pastor of the ship, like just started <laughs> praying for all these people. And then I'd meet them at dinner and they'd all int- they'd introduce me to their family members. They'd be like, who's this weird woman? <laughs> it, was just, it was hilarious, but that's another story. Anyway, and so then I got home and my sister said to me, oh, Claude, I've got to tell you something. And, I, and she looked like worried. And I was like, yeah, what is it? And she goes... Well, when you were away, something lifted off of me. She said she just felt as if she was like young again, like where, when she didn't have that feeling. She's had really bad depression as well. She said it just lifted off of her. She doesn't even feel like she wants to take drugs. And then she said, and so then she went to Centrelink and went and got a job. And, and she said, and I've got an interview next week at a pharmacy. <laughs> That is hilarious. That is so funny. She got that job too. Jesus is hilarious. He's so funny. He's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so she works at a pharmacy now. Incredible. And and she gave her life to Jesus when she lived with me for two two years and then, um, yeah, and moved back to Adelaide and works in a pharmacy. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) So good. Well, that is redemption. That is craziness. Maybe we're going to... I reckon just one last story. Um, you mentioned in the four pence service. I think it's a great story, but just um, again, and that's what I was referring to before, actually, before I got distracted to ask about your sister. Um, but just, just your heart to just um, care and value people. And I know you just often see people and you've got that mercy heart. And um, you shared that story in the 4 p.m. just about the homeless guy, Phil. And yeah, it'd be great for you to just share that with us. So you don't really get any people other than the people that live there. And as I'm driving along, I see this homeless guy and I'm like, what's that guy doing? Where's he going? And then I thought, I can't drive past this guy and go and teach people at a church 
the mercy and love of Jesus, <laughs> truck passes gone on the street. So I turn around and I get out. And I'm like, hey, brother, where are you going? And he's like, I'm trying to get to Macca's. I'm like, you know we're close. You know we're close. Get in my car. I'll take you. And he's like, okay. So we drive off. And as, as we're going over the bridge, I'm like, so what are you doing here? And he goes, oh, I just found out. I got cancer. I'm going to die in a couple of months. And I just want to die in Queensland because it's warmer. And I was like, weird. <laughs> okay. And I was like, well, I believe in a mighty God and that he heals. So can I pray for you? And he goes, no, nah, I just want to die. And I was like... Okay, like, can't convince you, can you? And so, so then I was like, okay. So we get to Macca's and I'm like, can I, um, do you wanna come to my church and eat, eat there and it's warm there and everything? He's like, nah, nah, nah. And so I was like, well, can I do anything for you? And he's like, can you just bring me back a blanket? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I'll go off and do the training <laughs> and then come back with a blanket and find him at Macca's. And I'm like, Phil, are you doing, what are you going to do now? And he goes, I'm just going to find somewhere to sleep. I'm going to find and try and have a shower somewhere and then we're going to go find somewhere to sleep. And I was like, well, come back to my church and have a shower. We've got showers there. And he's like, okay. So I take him back to church and he has a shower. I'm making my cup of tea and everything. And then I'm like, can, can you like stay at my house? And he's like, no, no, I can't stay at your house. Can't do that. And I'm like, well, what if I like just put the tent up in the front yard? <laughs> you know, no, 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 I don't want to be in trouble. So then I have to drop him at the train station and my heart was just like, how do you drop someone at a train station? Like, you know, they're, they're dying and they got nowhere to go, but he just wouldn't, he wouldn't take any more help. And so I was like, okay. So I said to him, come back to my church anytime. You can come every day if you want for a shower and like a feed or something. And he's like, okay, thanks. So the next day he comes back and the secretary, I'm like, don't, didn't wake that day. And the secretary rings me and goes, Claudine. <laughs> There's somebody at the front desk. And I was like, oh, has he like got a total potty mouth? <laughs> and she's like, yeah. It's like, like F and C's everywhere, everywhere. And so I was like, um, yeah, that's Phil. He can have a shower. And she's like, oh, okay. So then has this shower and he just keeps coming back, which is, I thought was awesome. And then um, I was saying to my boys, Suddenly, like, he'd call me and I'd just pick him up from anywhere and take him for a shower. And so sometimes my boys would be in the car and he'd be, like, in the front of the seat just, and we'd be talking and just his whole, he was, like, total biker, like, um, with, like, just swearing so much. And my kids would be in the back of the car going, <laughs> they just loved it. They thought Uncle Phil was amazing. They'd never <laughs> met anyone like him. And so uh, we all decided as a family that, he was definitely going to be Uncle Phil um, and that, you know, we had decided that it's not okay to let someone die alone. So we'd go visit him every second day and oh, he ended up getting into palliative care and um, really going downhill because he really did have head cancer. And, um, and so we meet him in palliative care one day. It was just me and the boys this time and this guy comes in and as he walks in, he goes, hi, and I'm like, hi, and he goes... I'm gonna die soon. I'm like, what, today? And he goes, no, nah, no, nah, I've got a brain tumour and I'm gonna die. And I was like, gosh, these people just keep telling me. <laughs> I was just like, what's going on? I was like, do you want me to pray for you? And he'd never heard anything about Jesus or prayer or anything. He didn't even know what prayer was. And, I, and so I had to explain to him that. And then I prayed for him and he just started getting these like waves of the Holy Spirit hitting him as I was praying for him. And he just kept going, whoa, what is going? What is that? What is that? And it was freaking out. And I was like, this is awesome. And the nurse comes in and I thought that she was going to stop me. And she's just like, oh, and she puts her hand. She starts praying. I was like, oh, this is the best. It's the best day. And so then, um, 
So then I had to take one of my boys to basketball. So I was like, I said to the nurse, could you just like tell this guy about the gospel? I've got to go. <laughs> and then, but then when I got in my car, I was like, oh, I feel so sad that I'm never going to see him again and be able to follow him up um, because I knew that Phil was going to a different palliative care the next day. And so two days later, I meet Phil in his palliative care and we're talking away. And this guy, um, so, and we're just talking about Jesus because by this stage, Phil's like totally giving his life to Jesus and is totally on board. And then this guy comes in and he sees me and I'm with my whole family, mixed there too. And, um, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's you. And I'm like, hi. And he goes, you've changed my life. You've changed my life. And he's just crying and crying. And my husband is like, who is this guy? And then, and I'm just like, just loving it. And he come, I'm like, come over here. And he goes, I wanna give my life to Jesus. And so we do like this Saviour's prayer. He goes through it all, two days. Oh, and Phil is like talking in tongues while I'm doing this prayer. It's just, it was hilarious. So like in this retirement home where all these people are dying, these people are just on fire for Jesus. It was hilarious. And then the next, like two days later, he died. And then two days after that, Phil died. And it was just like, I can't believe that just from stopping on the side of the road that my kids got to see what mercy does, my kids got to see what inviting people into your family does, what sacrifice does. Like, what do we sacrifice watching some TV at some stage? That's all it was. We didn't really sacrifice much, some petrol money. Like, and what love can do, like, just to stop and pick someone up on the side of the road now has two, we now have two brothers in the kingdom in heaven went for us, you know, yeah. clapping people on. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. The funny part of that is that, no, it's not, it's funny, it's not funny, but um, <laughs> the kind of weird part about that is that Phil didn't have any family and we were his family. And so when he died, when he passed away, they asked me to take care of his body and take care of his funeral. And so... We were the only ones that knew him, so I got him cremated and then buried him in my front yard <laughs> with a tree. And my husband said to me, that's the only one. No more, no more. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Well, it's just incredible what God's done in your life and, and just your life. It's so evident that you are, the Bible talks about a new creation and it is so evident that that's exactly you're a testament. You're an absolute testament to God's grace and His mercy on your life. It's just amazing. So, um, yeah, thanks so much, Anne. And uh, it's so exciting because uh, you're at River Life and you're going into the uh, Youth Detention Centre and as a church, we're looking to do that as well. And next week we've got an anniversary service and um, raising funds for that. So, yeah, it's so exciting to be able to partner with you guys as well in that, which is really awesome. Um, why don't we thank Claude? Uh, that was awesome. Just sharing. I'm actually, I might just uh, invite the band to come up actually. And as they do that, I just want to share just in closing one last uh, thought. Uh, it, it really is incredible just to hear and to see the, the transformation that Claude has experienced in her life. But you know what? It's for every single person. And you heard a little bit of Claude's story. And to be honest, she only just scratched the surface of all that she's been through and, and uh, things that have taken place in and through her life. 
And uh, you may come tonight and just think, oh, there's no way, there's no way my life could be changed. There's no way my life could be transformed. But this is what God does. Like, it's a testament tonight. This is exactly what God does. He changes and transforms people's lives. And you know, Christianity isn't about religion. It's not about, oh, I better go and do these good things and I'll get in the good books with God and then maybe He'll accept me. Actually, Christianity is all about relationship. It's about a relationship with the Creator of the universe that we can just cry out to Him and say, God, just come into my heart, come into my life. I wanna surrender to You and I want You to take control of my life. And you may come tonight and go, that's exactly what I need. Like I need a new life. You may come tonight and maybe you've heard a little bit about this growing up, but maybe you've just been invited along tonight and you think, yeah, I, I sort of used to know about this stuff and I've just pushed it aside. But maybe just there's this prompting or there's something in your heart that just goes, I need this, I need this. And it's not Claude's words, it's not my words, it's God knocking on the door of your heart saying, why don't you invite, why don't you invite uh, me in tonight? He's inviting you to come and have a relationship with Him and uh, to know new life in Him, new creation in Him. It's just honestly just the best decision I experienced in my own life. It's amazing. There's a verse I wanna just read very quickly, Ephesians 2. Uh, There's two verses or a few verses, but it says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then I love this, and just the evidence of this in Claude's life, but it says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God, I love this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So not only can you have a relationship with God, but part of the good news of, of the Gospel, the good news of God is this, is that you can have a relationship with Him but then God out of His mercy and His grace, He takes our lives and then He says, now I wanna use you to be a healing agent in the world around us. And we've already heard the evidence of that in Claude's life tonight. Here she's, she sort of grew up and there's this brokenness, this broken heart, this broken life that she's journeyed with and God comes in, He heals and now He's using her to have an impact on the world around her. And I just sense today that maybe you come and you think, I'd love to have an impact. Maybe you come tonight and you think, I'd, I'd love to uh, make a difference in my world, in my community. Well, you can by the power of God as He comes and fills your life. You see, at the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. And you can go about doing good things, but if you do it without Christ, you just often, we end up projecting our own brokenness onto the people around us. We need Him to come and heal us first and then to use us to be a healing agent to others. And so I just wanna invite you tonight, if you, do, you know anyway, you know in your heart that that's you. And I just wanna invite you in a very simple prayer, really probably what Claude did on the edge of her bed, very similar to my own story actually. She's on the edge of my bed one night just saying, God, come into my life, fill my heart. I want you to take control. And I just wanna invite you in a very similar thing tonight to just pray that prayer if you want that for your life. You don't have to, but if you want it, you can have it tonight. So I'm gonna invite you to stand just in this moment. Let's stand together. And maybe just in a posture of prayer, just with eyes closed, heads bowed, I wanna just lead you in an opportunity. If that's you tonight and you say, yeah, I I want a new life. I wanna experience what it means to to be a new creation. If actually, if maybe as well that you've known about this stuff, but you've walked away from it and tonight you go, yeah, I need to recommit. I just wanna lead you in a simple prayer. So just in your head and in your heart, you can just pray this. Dear God, I need you. Dear God, I need new life. I wanna thank you for dying for my sins. I wanna thank you for rising again, overcoming death. 
And I wanna thank You that You can change and transform my heart because that's what I need. And so I just pray now that You'll come and be Lord and Saviour of my life right now. Fill me with Your Spirit. Make me a new creation. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Father, I thank You that for those that have prayed that prayer and it's not the prayer that saves us, it's our acknowledgements, our faith in You and what You've done for our lives. But I just thank You for opportunities like this. And I wanna also just pray, there's some in this room that, you know, they've, they, they know You and they're walking with You, great God. But I just pray, Lord, that as You continue to speak into our lives, that we'll be obedient people just taking those opportunities to share, uh, you know, this extraordinary message with the people around us, great God. To have a heart of seeing people through Your eyes, seeing people through Your lens, great God, and impacting our world, impacting the sphere of influence around us, great God, as You use us. And so we thank You, Lord. And what an awesome opportunity now to praise and worship You. How could we not after we've just heard of Claude's story and what you can do in and through a person's life. We just wanna honour and praise you now. So we thank you, Lord. And uh, we just pray these things in Jesus' Name. Amen, amen. We're gonna do that now. We're just gonna worship and praise our great God.
above it all. We've already heard tonight just of how you change and transform lives, great God. And that's, that's, that's the truth. That's the reality that you reign above all things. There's nothing more powerful than you. Nothing more powerful, great God. I thank you, Lord, just for the way that you speak, spoken to our hearts tonight, great God. And uh, we just pray that you continue to use our lives uh, to impact uh, the lives around us, great God. We honour you and worship you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. What an awesome night, such a good night and uh, so uh, powerful just to hear Claude's story. I, I just was conscious of this though as well. Maybe um, uh, if, you, if you wanted to talk to someone afterwards, you're so welcome to do that. We do have like a prayer lounge up the back there and you can uh, chat to someone up there or be prayed for. But I, I just asked Claude as well, she would be more than happy to chat to anyone. If you wanna just hang back and chat to her even a little bit about her story or something just triggered, uh, within you tonight and you just wanted to talk to someone about that, she'd, be, uh, she'd love to chat with you. Uh, but God bless you. Have an awesome night, rest of the week. Feel free to hang around afterwards and uh, hopefully we'll see you next Sunday. Uh, but have a great week. <laughs>